It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or you can simply ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, play podcast Locked On Vikings, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today is going to be a mailbag. I asked you for your questions on Twitter, uh, again, at LukeBraunNFL, at Locked on Vikings, send me questions whenever and I'll get to them next time I hit a mailbag or just answer them right then and there. And I've got a whole big lineup of questions coming out soon. But first, the Viking of the day is Ed White. Ed White was a stalwart on the offensive line for most of the 1970s and played on all four Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl teams. There's all sorts of like myths and legends about Ed White and how guys like Howie Long and Matt Millen hated to play him. He was like the most typical 1970s mean, gritty, nasty offensive lineman, beat you up on the field kind of guy. And his toughness is surrounded by a lot of legend, including winning a 1975 arm wrestling championship where each of the, at the time, 26 NFL teams put forth one guy they thought could win an arm wrestling championship, and they had a big giant tournament, and I think that they should bring that back. He was eventually traded off the Vikings and finished his career with the then San Diego Chargers. He was traded in 1978, but as an offensive lineman, he's known as one of, I think it was 11 players who played in all four Super Bowls for the Minnesota Vikings. In his retirement, he coached a little bit, but he also took to art and painting to deal with insomnia, probably part of his lasting effects from being an NFL offensive lineman for so many years. And he actually painted about violence in football. He has a whole gallery called he calls Violence in Football, where he depicts, you know, football players meeting gruesome and violent ends kind of in a in a Roman Colosseum way. And I think that's actually poignant considering the way that Ed White's life, Big Ed's life, has gone since his playing days. It's been kind of tragic. In 1997, he lost his daughter to pneumonia after a freak head accident. He lost his house in 2003, and now, in 2017 or 2018, he revealed that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's not a hereditary thing. His doctor thinks it has a lot to do with the fact that he played football, and of course, brain injuries in football are a huge topic right now, and Ed White is going to be the latest in a long line of chapters. There is something poignant about a guy that has just, like, overcome so much as what Ed White has overcome, even in his playing days. You know, he overcame, like, the transition from going from defensive line to offensive line. He was one of the first 300-pounders at offensive guard, and he was just gonna beat the crap out of someone every single snap. It's a guy who was seen as untouchable, a guy that Hall of Famers and, you know, random filler defensive linemen alike hated playing against because he would hurt you. And even afterwards, in the face of insomnia, in the face of tragedy, he had found a way to to live a, a peaceful life, but... Alzheimer's is going to be what Alzheimer's is going to be. He says that his hippocampus is about half the size that it's supposed to be. And while he's still, you know, plenty coherent, someday that's going to start changing. And like so many do, he's going to start 
dysfunctioning, and one of the toughest players in NFL history, certainly one of the toughest players in Vikings history, is going to go out with a somber whimper. This is an all-too-common story that I think is difficult to separate from the myths and the legends of gritty, you know, grind them out football in the mud and in the 70s, and, you know, everybody was a big, tough man who'd smoke cigarettes on the sidelines and, you know, beat the crap out of each other and get in fights and, and go, you know, arm wrestle these guys are all kind of meeting this sort of end. And it's something that I think is really difficult in, in the topic of football to separate, you know, that nostalgia and that romanticized toughness from, you know, the consequences that are taking shape now 50 years later, 40 years later. But I think it's okay, so long as you have respect for all that, to remember him as the guy who was, you know, the toughest guy on the field. Somebody who would, you know, growl at you and go put you on the turf, and the kind of guy you think about when you think of the cartoonish representations of, like, football players, you know, growling at you and being these big meatheads. That that was that was Ed White, the kind of guy that would shake your hand, be nice enough off the field, but would kick the crap out of you on it, and that's the kind of guy that I think he will always be remembered as, at least on the field. But enough musing about the Vikings of old. Let's talk about the Vikings of today. I'll link a few articles in the show notes so that you can read more about Ed White if you want to, but let's get into the mailbag. I have a whole bunch of questions in front of me, and I want to get to as many of them as possible, and where I want to start is with a question from Viking Range, who says, Armin Watts should be the leading interior defensive line project. Do the Vikings look for an edge player to develop in the draft? And I think the answer to that is kind of always. They are always interested in, you know, young, raw athletic edge players that they could get a steal on because you know if you are are athletic and a refined talent then you're just a first rounder if you're athletic and unrefined you might fall to a place where you can get them on the cheap and then turn them into the type of asset you would have wanted in the first round a la Daniel Hunter, but there's been lots of examples of this. Stephen Weatherly has kind of outplayed his draft stock at the seventh round. Ifadio Denebo has kind of outplayed his draft stock, and I think will continue to. And there's kind of guys littered all over these drafts that they'll find in the third round to be like an edge prospect. I do definitely agree that Armin Watts developing into three technique is in, into a starting quality three technique is like the best case scenario because then you don't have to spend any more and you get a starter in the sixth round. That would be amazing. I, I think they'll probably would want to get somebody who's a little bit more of a of an interior pass rusher, uh, then, you know, the sixth round, maybe he'll work out guy, but to the point of your question, yeah, I think they could definitely look for an edge player in the draft, and they kind of always are trying to cycle in new young talent for Andre Patterson to develop. Next one comes from Matt Anderson, who asks... Are you content with Wilson and Gideon as the weak side linebacker next year? And I think I don't think it's much of a competition anymore. I mean, there have been three camp competitions. Ben Gideon has won them all, and it's because his run fits are just way more consistent. Eric Wilson finds himself out of place quite a bit. Happened a lot in the San Francisco game. I actually think they missed Gideon a lot in that game. Wilson's better in coverage-ish, uh, though I think Ben Gideon is underrated in coverage. People think that he's like this completely useless coverage guy, and he's totally easy to take advantage of. I think he does just fine. He gets to his spot. I don't. I mean, he's not. Eric Kendricks, and he's not like particularly productive, but he's not like a targeted liability really ever. So yeah, I think I'd be fine with him being, you know, the rotational third linebacker, though I'm really rarely going to argue with bringing in somebody to compete. I don't think they need to go, you know, spend a ton on it and go try to spring for this year's Devin White, but sure, why not bring in some competition? I wouldn't hate it, and if they didn't, I don't think it, you know, I don't think that would be a mistake. 
I have a ton more questions and I'm going to try to rattle off as many of them as I can, but first, a quick word from Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the very first chewable tablet of its kind, and its kind has the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, so you know what we're talking about here, but it's a chewable, which means it kicks in twice as fast, so that means when the moment's right, that's that much less sitting and waiting around. And speaking of skipping waiting, it's made right here in the United States, and it ships directly to your door in a nice discreet package, so you can skip a lot of waiting in line, you don't have to go to the pharmacy, you don't have to deal with any of that awkwardness, and you save a buck too, skipping all those steps. Blue Chew isn't just for men of a certain age who are typically the target market for this kind of thing. This is for anybody who's looking to improve themselves for the sake of their partner. And come on, who can say no to that? So go to bluechew.com right now. That's B-L-U-E, blue, the color blue, chew.com, C-H-E-W, and enter promo code locked on, and then let you try it for free. So there's no excuse. It's bluechew.com, promo code locked on. I also want to talk to you a little bit about some Super Bowl prop bets on my bookie. I use my bookie to make all of my bets. So anytime I'm talking about a bet, it's on my bookie. I love their website. I love their interface. I think it's really easy to navigate. And I think some of their props are really, really fun. There's of course, you know, the, the interesting ones, like who's going to score the first touchdown. I love Kendrick Bourne for that, by the way, he's like totally a, a red zone target for the San Francisco 49ers and they love to throw touchdowns to him. So I actually took him plus 2000, but there's also weird props. I think that Colin Kaepernick will be brought up during the course of the broadcast, if not because of, you know, NFL stuff, but because the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. Last time the 49ers were in the Super Bowl, it was Kaepernick, and it was worth talking about because of the blackout and all that stuff, and because of the kind of collapse and turnaround that the 49ers went through. I think they'll totally bring that up, and they'll totally bring up Kaepernick. So I took that, and that's a pick em, plus 100. There's all kinds of other weird stuff like that, like how many wardrobe changes Jennifer Lopez will go through. I took under 2.5, and even what color, famously, of course, what color the Gatorade shower is. So for all this fun stuff, go to mybookie.ag and if you sign up and enter promo code locked on when you sign up they will double your first deposit if this is your first time gambling and what better time to start than the super bowl so mybookie.ag promo code locked on all right moving on uh, i want to answer this question from peyton who asks how do you feel anthony barr performed in 2019 and why isn't he rushing the passer more frequently so uh, i full disclosure next week i'm going to probably finish out the the post-mortems so by like mid next week i will have talked in depth about anthony Barr's season and all that so i'll kind of save that uh for that episode so i can you know have it properly re- researched and stuff but to the why he doesn't pass rush more frequently that's a question that gets asked all the time and the reasons are twofold for one he has a really really important role in coverage and that is to feign blitz and then back off and i talked about this a ton if you really want more in-depth talk go listen to uh the anthony Barr podcast from like march of last year when i thought he was going to the jets and i kind of wanted to talk like hey what are we going to be losing when he goes to the jets but in short if he is threatening to blitz he blitzes often enough that teams usually respect that threat and will move the protection and you know tell the offensive line hey be aware of anthony Barr blitzing and change who blocks who so that somebody gets bar and then if he backs off whoever was assigned to block bar is now blocking nobody and you've essentially taken one of their offensive linemen out of the play meanwhile you could blitz from the other side you can just accept that that gives you probably a one-on-one with like daniel hunter or everson griffin there's a lot of dividends from that the problem with that kind of scheme and why it doesn't really work for like paul gunther has tried this with like vontes burflicht and it hasn't worked out very well is that that's a really difficult coverage assignment that kind of like uniquely anthony bar can execute. 
where you have to get all the way back to a normal coverage landmark or all the way out to the flat and you lined up like in the B gap on the line of scrimmage. That's a really, really, it's a lot of grass to cover. And, you know, Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr were drafted in part because they have the range to accomplish that kind of thing. And that's why Anthony Barr doesn't pass rush all the time. The other reason is that he kind of gets swallowed up by offensive linemen all the time. He's a great blitzer because he can beat anyone's tight end and beat anyone's running back. And the fact that you can't comfortably put a tight end or a running back on him kind of like makes all that protection warping stuff work. It's the engine that makes that drive. But if you made him, you know, a hand in the dirt defensive lineman where he went up against offensive tackles all day, he's just like way too small for that. He'd get totally swallowed up. That's what the Jets were going to do with him. And I think it would have been a huge mistake. A couple of people, uh, Flip Mozzie and Zach Walters. Thanks guys for your questions. Asked similar things about surprise free agency moves. Do you see any surprise free agency shakeups or, you know, are they going to go with the status quo? And I, I think that, you know, with the coaching, coaching hires, which Flip Mozzie mentioned, they do kind of suggest that they're not really looking to change a lot here. And I talked about that on yesterday's show, but I think they're trying to just like replace what they lose. And in a sense, you know, go into 2020 with as little different as possible. You know, they had, I think in their eyes, top 10 offense, top 10 defense that can win you a Super Bowl. If we can accomplish that again, we're in a good, we're in good shape. If I had to pick a surprise free agency signing, and I think it would be a huge surprise, it'd be Teddy Bridgewater, right? That would be really surprising. The way he left the organization was a little bit weird. They didn't really stick by him despite his injury, even though, you know, they rehabilitated him for two years. There's not even a guarantee that the Saints let him out of the organization. You know, New Orleans has such a weird quarterback situation over there, and they might even like Taysom Hill and stuff, and the Vikings have Kirk Cousins. But the nice thing about this is that you make the decision about extending Kirk Cousins or not after free agency in the draft. You go all the way into training camp without him extended. And that's typically what the team does. They'll typically, any of those big extensions that come, you know, prevent you from playing on a contract year will come in training camp. So you can make all the free agency and all the draft decisions without actually having decided whether or not you extend Kirk Cousins. Now, the wrinkle about this is if you need to use a Kirk Cousins extension to make cap space, then you don't get the luxury of waiting. And I think cap space is what would make this very, very surprising. But hey, they have a relationship with him and I think it would really shake things up. So I'm going to get my bold, surprising free agency take is that they signed Teddy Bridgewater. Let's go. Let's do it. Jerry Burns asks, is Anthony Harris the number one priority going into free agency? And in his is his $12 million per year contract worth it? So according to Over the Cap, his projected contract value is actually like $14.1 million. And in short, in the abstract, yes, I think that's totally worth it. And I even think that's worth it to the Vikings, who would have to actually probably lose some players to make that happen. But if you were to say, hey, you know, you can pick one of Anthony Harris or Xavier Rhodes right now, I think everybody would pick Anthony Harris. And I think the Vikings would too, even though he's like Mike Zimmer's, you know, adopted son, basically. Xavier Rhodes was kind of falling out of favor near the end of the season, and that might be an indication that he's falling out of favor with the Vikings. I think Mike Zimmer's the kind of guy that says, hey, I can fix it, but they did just lose their D-backs coach, and I I think that if you lost Xavier Rhodes, cut him, use those cap savings, and, you know, another restructure somewhere to get Anthony Harris in the building long term, I think that's totally worth it. He's one of the best safeties in the league. He's younger than Harrison Smith, and I think he allows Harrison Smith to, you know, quote-unquote roam. He's that center fielder. We already, we always 
always wanted, and he can also play in the box. Even though he's a little bit too small to do it, he's adequate enough to play in the box where you can roll coverages the way that Mike Zimmer always wants to. I think he's totally a priority going into free agency, and I'd be super disappointed disappointed if the Vikings let him walk out the door. Chris asks, do you think Norv Turner will, will be Mike Zimmer's longest tenured OC by the end of his career? So he lasted two and a half seasons, and I say no. I know a lot of people are very hot seedy with uh, Mike Zimmer. I think the organization was maybe a little bit hot seedy with Zimmer because they liked Kevin Stefanski so much, but he's now out of the organization. So there's no like easy, clear backup plan for if you get rid of Mike Zimmer. And I think the organization values stability. Also, Gary Kubiak is not really a risk of being poached for a head coaching job because the league all kind of understands that he doesn't want that stress because of his health issues. So he probably isn't interested in ascending any higher than offensive coordinator. So my optimistic take is that Zimmer and Kubiak last for more than two and a half years here. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Vikings Wales asks, you can have any non-QB right now to make the Vikings a Super Bowl contender. Who is it? Forget the cap. And I think the easiest answer to this is obvious. It's Aaron Donald. It's always going to be Aaron Donald. Because here's the thing, you know, there's a a lot of uh, hay made about how defensive tackle like doesn't matter as much or whatever. But Aaron Donald is basically like having a third edge rusher in terms of pressure and he enhances the edge pressure of your guys. So imagining a defensive line of, you know, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, Aaron Donald and Linval Joseph or whoever at nose tackle is pretty formidable. He kind of transcends the limits of that position, and I think that makes him more valuable than saying, oh, you know, like Julio Jones, or saying somebody like a big-time left tackle like Tyron Smith. We just talked about what happens, you know, when you have a really, really threatening pass rusher on the other side. Adding Aaron Donald to that mix enhances all of that stuff, and I think it would make the Vikings incredibly disruptive. Drew Christensen asks, give me a reason why the Vikings are not drafting a tackle or a cornerback, offensive tackle or a cornerback, in the first round. And then in parentheses, he says, Javon Kinlaw doesn't fall to us. So I'll kind of say that, okay, so it's like somebody crazy doesn't, you know, you don't have Joe Burrow magically falling to the Vikings at 25. Though I do think that's probably the most realistic scenario is, hey, somebody is there that's not supposed to be there. And that's why they don't take, uh, you know, tackle or cornerback. But I also don't think the Vikings are like so deeply locked into need. I think their worst draft picks of the Spielman era have come in when they have felt locked into need. You know, 2016, they felt locked in to a wide receiver. In 2019, they felt locked into an interior offense of Lyman, and that Garrett Bradbury pick is really, really concerning right now. And so when they lock into a need, and I don't think that the cornerback or the tackle needs are like as urgent. They're great times right now to pick a cornerback or an offensive tackle, uh, especially tackle just because it's such a good class and the way that the Vikings needs line up right now. It's like really good timing. You know, you can bring somebody up slowly. You don't need them to, to 
uh, start right away, even with the salary cap and all the guys in the secondary leaving the Vikings, will probably be able to navigate it where they will probably need the rookie to like rotate in some unless somebody gets hurt. And so you can develop somebody, you know, you can bring them along comfortably instead of throwing them into the fire. This is a great time to to get those guys. And I'm a huge uh, proponent of doing that. But hey, yeah, maybe there's just like a really good wide receiver out there that you don't want to let go. You know, maybe CD Lamb falls to you. Maybe somebody who's not supposed to be there falls to you. I think quarterback, and I'm going to get to more questions about quarterback uh, in, in just a second, but I think quarterback is really the the answer to this. If there's a viable QB there at 25, just take the guy and screw your needs. Just go get the quarterback. Unless they've extended Kirk Cousins and locked into that for, you know, three, four years and then having a good uh, a rookie quarterback doesn't help you at all. And even then, I still think it's worth it because you can flip that guy for value a la Jimmy Garoppolo and get, you know, most of your money back. Plus, you know, there's other needs. They could kind of use a defensive tackle. They could really use a defensive tackle. They could totally just use another guard. You know, they could use another weapon. You know, there are other places on the team where a good, you know, solid influx of rookie talent would be helpful. We're not locked in to OT and cornerback, though I do think those are the two best options. So a bunch of people asked some version of, okay, what are the Vikings doing at quarterback here? You know, talk to me about a Kirk Cousins extension and all that episode's coming, don't worry. If such and such, 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 and such quarterback falls to them, do they pick him? You know, what do they do at backup quarterback, somebody asked, but I'm going to go with Kyle Slaby's version of it uh, because I think his is kind of gets at the crux of this. He says, as a fan, I'm here long-term. I'm not optimistic about the Cousins era ending soon nor well. Which position should I root for the Vikings to draft most based on the longevity of impact, not necessarily their 2020 usefulness? So I, I kind of get this, right? The the prediction that he's making is they extend Kirk Cousins, it goes bad, and the team can't really contend until like 2022. What should I root for to draft so that in 2022, they actually can contend Tend again once this whole mess is over. And while that's a really, really pessimistic take, you know, drafting for your needs, you know, two or three years from now is a pretty common way that teams tend to think about this. And it's why there are a lot of baffling decisions like in 2018. Oh my goodness, why did the Vikings take a cornerback? Well, look at where they are now. And I think that they foresaw this, you know, all right, contracts are coming up, guys are going to be expensive, we're going to need young cornerbacks here. In two years, we're going to need a corner real bad. And now they have Mike Hughes, and they probably still need another one. But that was kind of the impetus behind that 2018 cornerback selection. So in two years, what are their big needs? Well, I think cornerback's a huge one. I do think offensive tackle is a huge one. Quarterback could absolutely be one. And if they pick somebody like Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts, who's a, you know, who, who are both a little bit more raw, give them some time to develop. And you know that might actually work out. But I think all in all, all you want is for the guy to be good. And what position you should root for is all kind of window dressing. If he's good, he's good. And you can work with that and you can plan around that. You can scheme around the talent that you have. You can't scheme for bad players. You can't plan for using Pat Elfline, right? You can't make a plan that takes advantage of Pat Elfline. You can hide him the best that you can, but if you draft well, everything else will fall into place. You'll be all right. So for that question, that 2022 thing, just hope the player is good at whatever position he ends up playing. As for the quarterback stuff, somebody asked, you know, do they take Jalen Hurts? Do they take Jordan Love? You know, who's their backup going to be? I'm a huge fan of taking a quarterback in the first round. I think if there is a reasonable one who who is worth a first round pick, who is there, haven't looked too deeply into the class, so I don't really know who those guys are outside of the obvious ones like Tua and, and like Joe Burrow and stuff. But if there happens to be a guy that you think is a first round pick and he is there, I absolutely want the Vikings to take him. I don't care what's happening with Kirk Cousins. I don't care if he's extended. I don't care 
care if he's, you know, makes all pro the next three years. I still want that guy, A, just to have a better backup than Sean Mannion and a better insurance policy. And yes, acknowledging the value that Sean Mannion brings is kind of a helpful, you know, voice in the room to help game plan. I think he does offer value that other backups don't offer by doing that, but he can't play. And if Cousins tears his ACL, which could happen to anybody, then you need somebody who can play. And I'm totally in for getting a rookie quarterback there. I don't think the Vikings are going to do it. They haven't really been the kind of team that does that. And I think they're ready to be like totally married to Kirk Cousins here. The way that I feel the way that, you know, this is going, that they're going to extend him and be stuck to him. But I don't care about any of that. You can't have too many quarterbacks. And if you have a redundancy there, you can always just flip it back for value. There are so many teams that are going to need quarterbacks in two years. If you have one who you think is good and you can sell him, do it. And if, you know, you're that happy with Kirk Cousins and you just had to like, get rid of the rookie, that's like a pretty good scenario and not one you should really be actively trying to avoid. So my apologies for not getting to all of these, uh, but the last one that I'm going to talk about today is from Ben Meyer, who says, old saying was that teams draft for their division, for example, Sue and AP. See, this is a thing. NFC North strategies. So I love this question because I totally advocate for this. If you think about it, you your division comprises a third of your schedule, six out of 16 games. So it's really important to be prepared for those games. And if there's any theme across, you know, all three of your divisional opponents, you know, that's six games. I, I think of like the Raiders, right? They have to deal with a premier edge rusher at in each one of their divisional matchups. You know, you have the Chiefs and they have like Frank Clark, not to mention like D. Ford and Chris Jones and all those guys. But you know, the, the Chiefs have their defensive line. You have Von Miller. Uh, you have have Joey Bosa on the Chargers. You have to deal with someone all the time. So having a good tackle, especially a good like right tackle where they're, you know, going to place those guys specifically tend to line up more often. But having like good tackle game is so important for the Raiders because in a third of their games, they're dealing at least a third of their games. They're dealing with some premier edge rusher. And that's not to mention like their season this year where they had to deal with like Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin. And they had to deal with, you know, Zadarius Smith and all the NFC North guys. I think for the North specifically, uh, I think interior defensive line is a huge, huge strength of the division that the Vikings have to contend with all the time. You've got Damon Harrison in Detroit. You have Akeem Hicks in Chicago. You have Kenny Clark in Green Bay. And so having, uh, you know, somebody who can pass protect against that is really, really important. The Vikings don't have that, and they went to and four in the division, and I think that has a, a, a lot to do with it. You know, Kenny Clark could blow up a lot of those plays. Akeem Hicks has been a nightmare for the Vikings in all of their last four losses against the Bears. And I think coming after a season like 2019, that was so specific specifically like ruined by four I mean they lost six games four of them were in the division so that's just such an extreme outlier I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings were a little bit more motivated to draft for you know get better interior offensive and they did last year right they drafted a center in the first round and even though we're a little disappointed with Bradbury if that was somebody like Eric McCoy or Elton Jenkins and had the rookie year that they had I think we'd all be very very happy with it and so I could totally see them you know drafting an offensive tackle kicking Riley Reef inside and saying all right there it is somebody said you know how would you fix the offensive line in 2020 and I think that's the most popular plan I still have a little bit of apprehension about making Riley Reef play a position he's never played before but his skill set is a little bit more tailored to it so I'm willing to give that a try especially if you have uh, an offensive tackle you like in the draft that comes to you. You got to get that guy anyways. So I think it's a good general principle to like keep an eye toward your division. And if your division is particularly good at something like the AFC West has a lot of good edge rushers, or, you know, if you're Arizona and you're up against two wide zone teams in the Seahawks in your division, and you know, you have to deal with all kinds of like shot plays, deep stuff, then yeah, I would probably prioritize like a center field, deep safety and be a little bit more interested in that than you otherwise would be. It doesn't dictate everything, but it is 
part, it should be part of your calculations, I think. And you know what? I actually got time for one more, so let's squeeze one in. Uh, Grant McMasters asks, what's going to be different between the offense of Stefanski and the offense of Kubiak? And I think, like I said yesterday, you know, the hiring of Kubiak is specifically designed to make the answer to this question not much. I think what you lose with Stefanski is really good play sequencing. He just was really good at setting up a look and then paying off that look later with something that's a good fake or just, you know, a good way to, to manipulate the tendencies that that look encourages. And I don't think they're going to be as good at that without Stefanski in the room. But otherwise, it's going to be the same thing. You know, bootlegs, rollouts, outside zone runs, and, and you know, Dalvin Cook trying to knife through uh, through the B-gap and, you know, Kirk Cousins on a na- naked bootleg trying to find a tight end for a 15-yard gain. And you know what? It worked really, really well. So I think that I'm totally fine running that particular scheme back, trying to fix, you know, patch the holes in it and uh, see how they can do in 2020. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. Joe's on Twitter at, Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.